Hello everyone and welcome back to the weekly Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, editor of the Investment Trust Handbook and with me today, freshly back from holiday but sadly to relate in quarantine, is Simon Elliott, Head of Investment Trust Research at Winterflood Securities. Simon, while you've been away, we've had a rather remarkable month in the stock market and indeed the investment trust sector. But let's uh, kick off by talking about what happened uh, this week, first of all, and then put that in the context of the month of August, if you might. Well, it's been a difficult start to September. I think that's for sure. We've seen the uh, UK market sell off, probably down to two and a half percent for the week. uh, And investment companies will not be too far behind it. But you're absolutely right. To put it into context, August was a was a very strong month. The FTSE All Share was up nearly 2.5% in the month and the investment companies uh, probably closer to 5%. And that was really reflecting the, the influence of overseas investments, particularly those in the, the US. The US had a very strong month in, in August and really led higher by the technology companies there. Right. And that's been a feature, obviously, all this year. NASDAQ and the famous uh, tech stocks, Amazon, Netflix, Apple and so on, have been storming ahead. But they've seen that reverse in the last couple of days. I guess it's too early to say whether this is some kind of significant break in performance or whether just a question of correcting some of perhaps the excess of what we've seen before, where these stocks have really run ahead of themselves quite uh, significantly. And of course, one of the investment trusts that's most exposed to that kind of behaviour is uh, Scottish Mortgage, the largest uh, equity investment trust in the UK market. Tell us what's been going on there. I mean, they've uh, they've made an announcement this week. So you're absolutely right. Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust has had a, an absolutely uh, incredible year, but uh, driven higher by a number of its largest holdings, particularly those US stocks, but not exclusively. They've got a number of uh, Chinese companies as well that perform very strongly. But uh, they do have a heavy weighting to the US tech sector, And this week, to be fair, Bailey Gifford, the investment manager behind Scottish Mortgage Trust, announced that they'd uh, reduced their position in Tesla. Bailey Gifford is a firm with the second largest shareholder in Tesla up until recently, just behind Elon Musk, or a little bit behind Elon Musk. uh, He owns a rather large stake in the company himself. Uh, But they were the second largest shareholder. They've reduced that position down. It looks like they've reduced it by about a third or so. Uh, So they still remain significant shareholders. And they've made it quite clear they're very committed on a long term basis uh, to the company. But the reason for um, reducing their position was the fact that it performed quite so well. It has been an absolutely uh, incredible performer up over this year, I think something like 400 percent, though it has actually sold off in the last few days. So perhaps the people at Bailey Gifford will be quite happy to have taken um, some profits given what we've seen recently. Yes. And of course, it will also affect some other well-known investment trusts that have been uh exposed to that the technology sector, the, the Polar and Alliance technology, and they must have been affected by this as well. And some of the other Bailey Gifford funds as well have some interest there, I think. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Uh, it could just be a correction after a very strong run, or it could be something perhaps more significant. But then people have been uh, expecting the tech bubble, what they like to think is a tech bubble in the in the States to burst for many months now. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But it's an interesting development. So while we're on uh, Bailey Gifford, we had an announcement from uh, Bailey Gifford US Growth, which is one of their uh, more recent investment trust vehicles, uh, has the ticker USA, which they rather cleverly grabbed. Quite a good one to have, I think. But what have they been saying? They put out their, some results, I think. That's right. So uh, Bailey Gifford US Growth had their annual results for the 12 months to the end of May. They were released this week. And unsurprisingly, they were very, very strong. Um, their NAV total return 
was up uh, nearly 47% for that 12-month period, and that compared with a rise of 15% for the S&P 500. So substantial uh, outperformance, really driven by uh, the bias to to some of those well-known technology names. But I think in the case of this particular fund, they, they are doing something quite interesting. I mean, this, this is a, an investment company that was only launched back in March 2018, and they made it clear from the outset that they would look to invest a proportion of their assets in some unquoted holdings. And that uh, is exactly what's happened. At the end of May, 12% of total assets were invested uh, in 17 unlisted companies, so private companies. Uh, And again, this is a similar approach to what we've seen with Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, that they look to invest in these companies on a long-term view. So back them when they're private companies, but happy to remain invested as and when they come to the marketplace. So it's been a, a very good story um, since launch. They're up nearly 140%, uh, and that compares with a rise of 46% for the S&P 500. And we've heard this week as well that uh, as a result of their success and uh, now size in terms of their market cap, uh, they will enter the FTSE mid-cap, so the FTSE 250. Uh, so they will be a new entry later this month. Yes, it has been a spectacular uh, baptism, if you like, for that particular trust. I mean, it would be wonderful if all uh, IPOs went off like that, with that kind of performance. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about some other changes in the index changes. You mentioned they were came into effect this week, or at least were announced this week. We've talked about this uh, quarterly index changes before. Tell us what uh, what the result of this latest change in the indices is as far as it affects the uh, the investment trust world. So we didn't see any investment companies promoted to the FTSE 100. Uh, we thought that Pershing Square Holdings, which is uh, Belakman's uh, vehicle, we thought that that might just tiptoe its way into the FTSE 100. Maybe by coincidence, maybe not. Uh, its share price rose nearly 6% on the day of the market cap review. But actually, in the end, it didn't make it. They changed the number of shares that they would consider an issue for that company. So it failed to cross the threshold. But in terms of the mid-cap, we did see Temple Bar Investment Trust relegated, and it's been a really tough year. We've talked about Temple Bar a number of times before. Its share price is uh, nearly halved so far this year. And uh, as a result of that, it's now been relegated from the mid-cap into the small cap. Uh, But we did see two investment companies go the other way. So Bailey Gifford US Growth, as mentioned, and also JP Morgan European small cap as well. And that's moved into uh, the mid-cap. Hypnosis Songs Fund, which is one that we always enjoy talking about there. C-Share has gone into the mid-cap as well, and that's a function of the fact that it's the ordinary share class is already there. Right. Well, quickly in passing then on Song, we have to mention, as we had quite a lot of discussion about Barry Manilow, uh, (laughs) where I revealed my ignorance about whether he was alive or dead, which I'm still apologising to everyone who who likes Barry Manilow. This week, Song announced they've added something else to their catalogue. I'm sure you're going to be an expert on this particular uh, source of uh, royalties that they've added to their now rapidly growing catalogue. So uh, this week they announced they'd acquired the catalogue of a gentleman called Nicky Six. There's a lot of K's and a lot of X's in his name, but uh, he's the founder of Motley Crue, which is a US uh, rock group from the 80s. Uh, And I must admit, I've generated a bit of revenue for hypnosis songs this week because I've gone and listened to a few of their top tracks it's fair to say it's quite loud, it's quite unsubtle, but, but clearly it has a market. Well, I won't ask you to uh, give us a rendition. Maybe we'll do that later in the year when we uh, give you Simon Elliott's greatest hits. So uh, while we're talking about uh, the US, let's just quickly mention JP Morgan US smaller companies. K 
can you say something about them? We heard that their European kind of sister trust has, has gone into the 250 index. But can you tell us what uh, JP Morgan US smaller companies has been doing? And they've been performing quite well, I think, haven't they? Um, I mean, they've got a very good long-term track record. I think it's something like nine out of the last 10 years. They've outperformed the Russell 2000, which is the um, go-to index for US smaller companies. And they're very much a bottom-up stock picking type approach, very experienced management team. But I, I, I think the interesting story there is their insight into the US marketplace. I mean, we're hearing how well the US has done this year in terms of its stock market, but actually it's driven by a very uh, small list of companies. It's very narrow. It, as mentioned, it's the technology companies that have really driven that growth. And in fact, I think the stat is something like three quarters of the um, constituents of the Russell 2000 have actually seen negative share price returns so far this year. So again, the, the leadership of the index is very limited. Uh, but a lot of talk about the opportunity as the uh, US economy improves, um, hopefully uh, as a result of the diminishing of coronavirus, but we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, but yes, I mean, they take very much a long-term view and uh, there's some good comments in terms of the, the valuations that they're seeing that again, are very different depending on which sectors that you're looking at. Yes, it's quite encouraging to see these trusts which are actively managed doing well in the US because it's often been said that it's the hardest market for any active manager in which to outperform. And I think the statistics over many years bear that out. It's very difficult to beat the index uh, funds uh, in the US market, but it's good to see that there are some UK managed funds which are going over there rather like uh, was threatened after Chariots of Fire, the film, remember they said, the uh, producer said, well, you know, look out, the Brits are coming. Well, we seem to have done quite well in this area, in the, well, admittedly on a very, you know, one or two individual cases, but it's encouraging to see that, I think, and uh, long may it continue, though it does, of course, as you were implying there, it requires actually to be quite active in the sense of not investing, you know, across the index or close to the benchmark, but having a concentrated portfolio where you're really trying to pick the winners in that market, and uh, good luck to them if they can succeed and continue to do that. Another fund which is doing well, it's a global fund rather than just a US fund, is Midwine, managed by uh, by Artemis. They've had some results out, and I think they're doing performing quite well as well. So Midwine International had their annual results out to the end of June, and you're absolutely right. Their NAV total return was up over 12% compared with 5% for the MSCI All Countries World Index, and their share price return was uh, 9%. So Again, a very, very decent, respectable set of results. And um, it's a very interesting story with this particular trust. A number of years ago, it made the move from Bailey Gifford. Uh, not many investment trusts have walked away from Bailey Gifford uh, over the last 10 years. But this is an example of one that did. Uh, and as you say, went to Artemis and uh, Simon Edelston, Alex Sillingworth and Rosanna Bocheri have run that company now for some time and actually generated a very good track record really through taking uh, a thematic approach to global uh, equities. This isn't, uh, as is sometimes the case, a marketing line when they try to group together uh, a number of stocks and, and kind of put a theme overlay to try and explain it. They really do uh, an awful lot of work to identify the relevant themes and then look for the stocks that fit those themes. So it's uh, things that have performed well for them, perhaps unsurprisingly, things like online services, which is a, quite a chunk of the portfolio now, automation, healthcare costs, scientific equipment, uh, but they do considerable work into these different areas and, and then try to find the stocks to match. And that's something that's worked for them. There's always the odd theme that doesn't work out. And uh, perhaps, again, unsurprisingly, tourism is a theme that's been discontinued. 
although they did discontinue it towards the end of last year, so before the big sell-off this year. Uh, and they've also reduced a bit of exposure to their emerging market uh, consumer theme, which uh, at one stage was, was quite a, a core part of their portfolio. But again, very interesting comments in the report and accounts about the impact of low interest rates and certain share prices, this idea that perhaps the market's got a little bit ahead of itself, and also on prospects for inflation as well. Um, so well worth a read if uh, you have a moment. Yes, it's interesting. I was going to mention that uh, fact about Bailey Gifford as well, because it, it's only fair to make that point. I mean, we've said a lot of nice things about Bailey Gifford and their recent performance has been spectacularly good. But it's a it's a interesting reminder that not everything they touched in the past has worked as well as uh, their more recent trusts. And Simon Edelson has done a very good job. I, one of the reasons I've uh, looked at that uh, trust myself is because I know that Simon used to work with the great Niels Torp, who is a, a well-known uh, investor who died a few years ago. Simon sort of cut his teeth there, which is a very good training, I think. And, and the other factor that I like about that trust is that he, he has a significant personal stake in it. So you really do feel you're, you're aligned with what he's doing. That's where all his own money is invested, which is often a positive thing to look for when you're researching which uh, trusts to own. On the global front, then, let's look at another global investment trust, which has perhaps been having not such success uh, more recently, and that is Witten. I think they confirmed this week that they've now transitioned to the two new global managers they've appointed. Uh, and interestingly, we'll come back to this point in a minute, but I think they've been reducing their UK exposure, because we're going to talk about UK market exposure shortly. But uh, am I right about that? Can you fill us back in on the details on that one? That's absolutely correct. So they've appointed uh, WCM Investment Management and Jenison Associates, and they're both uh, US-based kind of more growth-orientated managers running concentrated portfolios. But uh, they've done this by, again, looking to reduce their UK exposure. And, and to be fair, this is something that they talked about last year as one of the things they intended to do. They started uh, 2020 with about 26% of their portfolio exposed to UK equities, which will be higher than most investment trusts investing around the world. That's quite a large weighting to the UK now. Um, it has come down. It was 23% at the end of July. Uh, and one suspects that that will come down further. Not least because, unfortunately, the UK market has been a very difficult place uh, for investors. It's lagged global indices. And it will be one of the reasons, not the whole story, but one of the reasons why Witten has uh, had a tough year this year. Its share prices down nearly 18%, and that compares with a rise of 4% for the FTSE or World Index so far this year. It's interesting, therefore, that this year obviously has been notable for the absence of IPOs and new launches of investment trusts. We can talk about one that has uh, reported recently, which was launched at the beginning of this year. But it's interesting, therefore, that there's just been announced today, or on the day we're recording, that uh, there is a, an attempt by a broking firm to get away an IPO which would be investing in UK equities, despite the fact that uh, Witten is reducing its exposure there. So this looks like it's a kind of contrarian move, I would think you'd have to say. Can you tell us anything about that very briefly? We don't know a lot of details yet. It's very early days. But uh, can you tell us something about what this trust, which is going to be called Telworth, is doing? According to media reports, a new potential launch, the Telworth British Recovery and Growth Trust. Um, it would be managed by two gentlemen, Paul Marriage and John Warren, who are well-known, very experienced investors, previously at Casanova Capital and uh, Schroeder's. And yes, I think, as you say, it sounds like it is a bit of a, a contrarian approach. I think a lot of people agree that there is uh, a significant amount of value available in the UK marketplace, 
certainly share prices do seem to be depressed but others would argue there's there's a good reason why that might be the case and clearly an awful lot of uncertainty coronavirus and brexit just been two of the major factors there but clearly they believe that that offers an investment opportunity uh, and they're looking to raise uh, 100 million pounds again just according to uh, some media reports through an ipo yeah, so that'll be one to, interesting to track. I mean, it's interesting timing, you know, as you say, coming up to the kind of crunch point in the Brexit negotiations and with the virus story still rumbling away. I mean, there were some clues about what other investors have been doing in the latest uh, fund flow statistics. Every month, the trade body puts out a release saying which uh, funds have been attracting money and which funds have been losing money in the open-ended universe, obviously where capital is not permanent, but is at the whim of the unit holders. That can often give you a, a clue as to what investors are doing. Some people regard that as a contrarian indicator rather than a guide to what to do themselves. But what are, what are the latest fund flow figures been saying about uh, the UK in particular? Yeah, so the Investment Association published uh, these figures looking at open-ended fund flows from retail investors. And it's been a really interesting story so far this year. I mean, unsurprisingly, in March, we saw significant amounts of money flow out, just in general, people trying to take their money out of the market, out of equities and bonds, but then the reverse in April and May. So a lot of money did come in at that stage. And you get a reflection of that when you hear the results for uh, outfits such as Hargreaves Anderson and AJ Bell telling you how many new accounts they've opened in the second quarter of this year. But actually, the, the data came out this week for what's happened in July and actually, we've seen money come out of equities from retail investors. But when you actually drill down, it's money coming out of the UK. So clearly, to the point that we've made earlier, that there are people are quite uh, wary of the prospects for UK equities. Clearly, they haven't performed very well this year compared with global uh, equities and in particular the US market. And investors appear to be voting with their feet. And to be fair, you can see a reflection of that uh, in the investment companies universe. Obviously, uh, investment companies are not uh, susceptible to fund flows. They are closed-ended funds, so it's captive capital. But what you can see is discounts widening out for uh, the mainstream UK subsector, so UK or companies, UK equity income, and in particular UK smaller companies that were on very tight ratings at the start of the year and actually now are trading on average of wider than double-digit discounts. So we have seen a derating there. I think there's no doubt that if you if you just look at conventional measures of valuation and so on, whether that's discounts for investment trusts or uh, price to book ratios and PE ratios for the UK market as a whole, it is on historical basis at least looking pretty cheap compared to other markets around the world. But as you say, there may well be good reasons for that. Though it's interesting to note that the uh, the pound has been strengthening recently. That's partly because the dollar's been weakening, of course. But it could be that there, you know, there will come a point where enough investors decide that the UK is sufficiently cheap that whatever news is coming down the line, it, it can't get any worse. And therefore, this should be a good opportunity to, to move back into UK equities. I guess that's probably what the Telworth Recovery Fund is aiming to tap into. Uh, but of course, we don't know yet whether that'll work or not. I might just mention in this context, though, the UK, um, a trust called Mighton UK Microcap, which is definitely at the smaller end of the uh, capitalization scale. You might explain what a microcap is. Uh, and they've actually done very well year to date. Uh, perhaps you could explain uh, what's been going on there. Mighton UK Microcap. Um, and just to be clear, microcap companies. So these are listed companies, but much, much smaller. Uh, so with market caps of 100 or possibly up to 150 million, of which there are a number, invariably they tend to be 
listed or traded on AIM. Uh, and one of their characteristics is that you often find that they have uh, significant shareholdings by their founders or, or certainly their management teams. We've got three specialist investment trust companies that in invest in microcap companies, uh, one of which is Mitan UK Microcap. It's managed by a chap called Gervais Williams, who's a highly experienced uh, investor, and they had a trading update this week. They've done very well. Their NAV total return was up 19% of that compares with a decline of 20% for the FTSE small cap uh, during the same period. And they benefited from the fact that Gervais and the investment team there took out a put option, uh, which is a form of portfolio protection on the FTSE 100. So basically, as the market sold off back in March, that put option became more valuable uh, and they took profits on that and reinvested back into micro cap companies. Uh, and that was one of the key reasons for that outperformance. But they've also announced that their management fee has been reduced. It was 1% of their market cap. And that's come down to 0.9%. And uh, that's not a reflection on the on the job that the fund manager is doing. Clearly, it would, it would seem to be that they're doing a good job. Uh, but it's just to ensure that they remain as competitive as they possibly can be in terms of their ongoing uh, charges, in terms of their look-through fees. Yes, it's an interesting issue about these put options. I mean, the what you can do is, as they've done, take a put option on the market as a whole on one of the market indices. And as you say, if the market does go down sharply, then they will go up in value because it's an inverse relationship. But of course, it does cost you money if the market does keep going up. And, and on average, the market does go up over time. So it's quite controversial. I mean, a number of people say that actually it's not the manager's job to take out a put option and put in protection against a market decline. You know, the investors can do it themselves if they really want to. Uh, so why would they want a fund manager to do that? Well, I suppose the answer might be that they may have a very strong conviction that the market is overvalued and therefore it's uh, they're, they're willing to take that risk on. But there aren't many uh, investment trusts, I think, that actually do use put options. So you're right, not many investment companies have used put options, but one that did so earlier this year and made an awful lot of money out of it was Pershing Square Holdings, uh, the Bill Ackman vehicle. And again, it's performed uh, incredibly well this year and really a key driver, the, the protection that it took out, the fact that, again, it liquidated in that uh, March period. So it took profits and recycled that money back into the US market. Now, uh, quite obviously, attractive valuations. So not many people do it, but when they have done it, it has proved to be successful, certainly this year. Yes, and there will be some trustees, of course, will wish that they had done that. One which you've mentioned in passing is... Uh, Temple Bar, as we know, which is a, a well-known UK equity income fund, where the uh, the manager has uh, been given leave of absence and the board is looking at replacing. And I think this week they made a further announcement regarding that. Is that not right? You're absolutely right. We'd normally expect to see Temple Bar's uh, interim results around about now, but actually they announced this week that the, the publication of the interim results has been delayed and that's in order to be able to publish the results of the review and the interim results concurrently. So this review of investment management arrangements has still not quite been finalised, but one would suspect that it will be uh, relatively imminent. Yes, it'd be very interesting to see what decision they come to, whether they're going to replace the existing management team or stick with them with some other changes perhaps uh, associated with that. That'll be very interesting to see because it is a very competitive sector, as we talked about. We have been a number of changes in the equity income sector. And I guess there'll be some concern about their dividend as well, what they're going to do there as well. Let's have a look now, I'll talk briefly about what's been going on in some of the alternative asset area. Perhaps the first one we might talk about is Foresight Solar, 
That's obviously one of the renewable energy trusts, which have done very well in terms of attracting support from income-seeking investors. They've had some results out. You've been talking to them, I think. So tell us what the story is there. So Foresight Solar Fund had its interim uh, results over the six-month period to the end of June. Its NAV was down 7.5% in in that period. Uh, And the story here is, again, as we talked about with a number of these funds, it's uh, it's about the UK power price forecast. So some of these renewable infrastructure funds are quite sensitive to the power price. And that's certainly the case with Foresight. And that's been uh, the key driver of its NAV fall. But that said, it's still paid its dividend and it's on track to deliver its 6.91p target for 2020, uh, which gives it a prospective yield of 6.5%. So that's certainly one of the higher yields in that uh, particular subsector. And the other good news is that the sun has been shining, or certainly that the electricity generation was about 16% above its base case based on record levels of radiation. So that's, that's the good news. The manager's also looking to uh, invest in Spain. In fact, they've got exclusivity over a a portfolio of 150 megawatts there. So given that the fund is already uh, relatively geared, um, it probably wouldn't be a great surprise to see it come back to the market and raise some money at some stage in order to be able to uh, invest in that portfolio. Yes, well, you'd imagine that uh, Spain is quite a good place to go looking for solar power, as the rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane, as we know. So that's interesting from them. We'll be watching that one. I think the question there might be over their dividend cover, not rather than their dividend yield. Let's talk about the infrastructure, conventional infrastructure space. There's a couple of trusts we might mention here. One is BBGI. Perhaps you could tell us uh, what they do and what they've been uh, talking about this week. So BBGI actually just at the end of last week had their interim results out again, the six months period to the 30th of June. Um, they had a total return, NEV total return of just short of 3%, uh, so a very credible set of results. And they are different from some of the other infrastructure names because they effectively produce what are called uh, availability-based assets. So as long as these type of assets uh, are available for use, then they get paid on it. So they'll have quite an exposure to things like roads, hospitals, and so on and so forth. And they're quite diversified as well. So Um, significant exposure to the uh, UK market, 30%, but also Canada as well, 36%, as well as uh, Australia, the US, and and also Europe as well. So I think it's fair to say it's probably seen as one of the more conservative infrastructure plays. It's uh, cash dividend cover is at 1.6 times, again, which will compare quite well with some of the other uh, infrastructure names. But then that's probably one of the reasons why it's one of the higher rated funds in that space on a premium, probably nearer to 30%, so quite a significant premium. The thing to watch, as always with these uh, infrastructure names, is the discount rate that they're using to value their assets. BBGI using their discount rates about 7% at the moment, but if they were to lower that uh, by even 1%, their NAV would go up 10%. So that's the kind of sensitivity that you see in these NAV valuations to that discount rate. Uh, but certainly the, the market seems to have responded quite well to that set of results. And they've confirmed their dividend target for 2021 as well, which again is quite important. It's yielding uh, 4.2% on a historic basis. So again, probably a lower yield than, than some of the others, but then that reflects the fact the market would regard it as one of the more conservative plays. 
Yes, I mean, that's only 4.2% compared to the prospective 6.5% of the solar fund, which is obviously a different business entirely, but a much more sort of volatile underlying business, I would suggest. So I think we've covered most of it this week, but there's one more I'd like to run past you, which is uh, an interesting trust, which is doing, again, something slightly distinctive, which is Merion Chrysalis. The firm has obviously recently merged or been taken over, depending on your point of view, by uh, Jupiter. But Merion Chrysalis has an interesting strategy, and uh, they've also produced some results, I think. Well, they had a quarterly NAV update uh, for the three months to the end of June, and this was a very strong quarter for them. Their NAV was up 26% in that period, uh, reflecting, obviously, the public equity markets, uh, the rebound there, but also the fund's exposure to technology and e-commerce sectors. And a few of the underlying holdings as well are performing very strongly. So TransferWise, companies like the Embark Group and the Hup Group, which um, looks like we'll see the IPO for that company in the very near future. So this is what's driven the company's valuation. But you're right, it is a very interesting uh, investment company. They're looking to invest in late stage private companies. So there's probably some of the ethos that you find in uh, some of the Bailey Gifford names uh, in terms of what they're trying to do. This idea that companies are staying private for longer, that in order to, to access the growth that you often see in late stage private companies, you have to prepare to, to back them before they come to the public market. So this is a pure play uh, on that basis. So certainly not without risk and a concentrated portfolio. But the performance so far, and it's it's been going less than two years. It was launched in uh, November 2018. But during that period, it's up um, not too far up 40% compared with a decline of 10% for the, the FTSE All share. So um, the IPO of the Hunt Group will be uh, an important development for this particular company. It's, a, it's almost a little bit of a proof of concept. Uh, and certainly if that IPO were to be successful at the proposed value, the NAV of Merriam Chrysalis would see a 2p uplift to its NAV. Still got a bit of cash as well. Cash on the balance sheet, probably about 12%. So that enables them to make follow-on investments if they need be, or even source uh, new investments. Right. And I guess that that's probably been quite well received by the market uh, in terms of when you have an IPO with, some, with doing something which is slightly different from the rest of the trust sector, investors will be looking for, as you say, proof of concept. In other words, that they can actually deliver what they promised to do. We, we talked about Song, obviously signing up lots of catalogues. And here we have Merrin Chrysalis actually uh, having an opportunity to show that they've backed a company which is going to have an IPO, We they think anyway, and that will be very positive for them. And that is a kind of, is that a sort of general kind of rule we could talk about for investment trusts that if they do an IPO and it is something distinctive, then uh, it will take a bit of time before the market will actually give them full credit for what they what they've done. They have to deliver first before they can get a kind of sustainable and and continuing uh, attractive rating. Would that be a fair summary? I, I think um, obviously we've seen it before with a number of the listed private equity funds as well. As and when we do see IPOs or exits, particularly where there are uplifts to the carrying value, I think it is regarded uh, as positive. I think this year has been a very tough year for IPOs in general. Um, across the whole marketplace for obvious reasons. So the fact that Marion Chrysalis looks like it, it's got one, or one appears to be imminent, I think would be absolutely seen as a positive. Yes, yeah, so I think on that note, we can we can draw to close this week. It's very good to have you back on the show, Simon. I'm not sure whether you're so glad to be back here, but anyway, here you are, and that's terrific news. And we can look forward to it. We've actually see how whether this, uh, the way the virus is developing, the way the markets are performing. You would think that maybe after the shock of the virus, we are going to see some more uh, IPOs and uh, corporate activity, maybe. We've had a couple of mergers. We've we've talked about those. They're the 
don't seem to be coming off in most cases so far. So let's look forward to that. What are you looking forward to this autumn? Well, I think, uh, you know, you go back in, in time and the September, October and, and to a lesser extent November is always a fascinating time for markets. At the best of times, this is quite possibly not the best of times, although um, hopefully I'm proven wrong on that count. So I think markets are going to be absolutely fascinating over the next two or three months. Good. Well, I look forward to uh, tracking that progress with you, Simon, as always. So thank you very much. Welcome back to the UK. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening and please keep safe in these difficult times.